The reading from the Old Testament tonight comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. It can be found on page 2 in your bulletin. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, traditionally this is called the prayer of illumination. Uh, and the reason is we believe that God, all of us, has to open the eyes of our heart if we're going to get anything from this. And so uh, we're dependent on him. So let's pray. We pray that you would open the eyes of our heart. We pray that we would know the hope to which you've called us. We pray we would know what our... Uh, the riches, the glorious riches of our inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable power toward those who believe, demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Christ's name, amen. What are some words that you treasure? Now, maybe they're Words from a boss, words of affirmation from a boss, from a teacher, from a coach, from a parent. Words that have been said to you that you store them up and you have no trouble remembering them. And my guess is uh, you feel that way because they came from someone who you respected and they, it was a personal word for you and it was a word that gave, um, it was necessary and good truth given to you. Those kind of words, we don't have any trouble forgetting. And the question that I want to put before us tonight is, how do we begin to experience the Bible that way? Words that we treasure at that level. Precious words. And if we're honest, it's not easy, right? Because the Bible can many times give us mixed feelings. It might seem far removed in ages, hard to understand. It's sometimes it offends us. It confuses us. Maybe uh, you're here and you question the overall credibility of it. And so 
there's some work that needs to be done for us to get there. And Proverbs 4 gets us on the way, gets us on the path. And uh, there's three things that I believe it uh, reflects in the text that I want us to put our minds on, and that is a precious tradition, precious relationship, precious reward. Precious tradition, precious relationship, precious reward. Let's look at those together. Um, this past summer, my mother gave all the grandchildren a memory box. And uh, in this memory box, each of these wooden boxes had etched on the front uh, a personal song that she would sing to them in their childhood days. You know, she would co-opt a child song and put her own lyrics in there. So that was etched on there, and inside there were photographs of them together and precious memories going at least as far as, I guess, 25 years. Um, and so uh, it was a grandparent's precious words held now by granddaughters and grandsons, and that's what we have in this text. I don't know if you saw this. Hero son... A father's instruction, when I was a son, with my father tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me. So these are words from a grandparent to a grandchild mediated through the father. And immediately that tells us something about it. These are words that have stood the test of time. These are enduring words. Of tradition. Now, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote an essay once called On the Reading of Old Books. And in it, he, he had an insight where he said, every generation and every age has particular insight of truth into things that other ages before them would not. But at the same time, every generation and every age has a characteristic mistake or mistakes it does not see. And so it actually needs previous generations to highlight it. Uh, G.K. Chesterton uh, took this idea, actually said it before C.S. Lewis, uh, and he said this. He was a writer and philosopher in last century, and he said, tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about right now. We will have the dead at our councils. Now, as valuable as modern writers are, and they are, they are still a small sample, right? A small sample of history, of tradition. And, uh, you know, modern folk, we need to be reminded of that. Those of us that are always thinking, you know, what's the latest this, what's the latest that? Best practices, right? Constantly looking at that. Now, it doesn't mean just because something's tradition, it's valuable or precious. I mean, the history of racism and sexism have taught us that. But this was also a battle that Jesus regularly would have with the religious leaders because they would take man-made traditions and ascribe divine weight to them. That's a problem. That's dangerous. But the Bible is actually making a different claim. If you read the authors of the Bible, they never made claims 
that this was their own speaking or words. But rather, they understood that God, the eternal God, who is a personal God, we'll get to that in a second, a personal God has spoken, why would he not? And he has spoken through human beings, and it wasn't his plan B, it was always his plan A. And yet, this word derives its enduring tradition, enduring power, not from them, but from him. So the Apostle Peter is reflecting about the Hebrew prophets. And he says this, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that conviction actually gave birth to the rich tradition of copyists that went on for thousands of years and produced manuscripts, more ancient manuscripts than any other ancient book, but were so accurate in their resemblance. So much so that Textual critics would say, we can discern the original text from it. And so it was this idea, the reason that went on wasn't because they were handling the words of men, it's because they understood they were handling the word of God. What makes it precious is for us to understand that you and I, every week, open up and spend some time with a word that has endured from the beginning of time and transformed people of every culture and every race and every class. This is different than other holy books. You know, the Quran would teach that only if you read in that language, that cultural setting, are you connecting. This was a book that the Lord meant to be translated. And so each week we spend time with that, and that's a precious thing. But it's also precious because of relationship. Um, Notice this. The, The father of Proverbs says, Listen, my son, and accept my words. The father is appealing to the relationship, right? He's appealing to the relationship for trust of the word. And that shouldn't surprise us because all of knowledge and all of life is personal. The nature of life is personal. There is no knowledge that you and I have, any true knowledge, that did not involve your personal commitment. Whether it was learning history, learning math, learning how to teach, learning how to surf, learning how to cook, learning how to play an instrument. At some point, it it required your personal commitment. All of reality is personal, but even more so. It requires more than this philosophical thing. It requires this idea that if, I, if I'm going to understand the Word of God is precious, I must be growing in the understanding that I am precious in His sight. I am honored and precious. Again, don't miss this reasoning. The Father is going, he, he's explicitly saying, listen to me because you know that I have loved you. And you find the Apostle Paul saying the same thing. He's teaching about the gospel, but he says, you remember when I was with you what I was like. How I sought to serve you. How I had sought not to exploit you. False teachers could always be to- told eventually by their false character. 
And Jesus is the prime example, right? He preaches the gospel for three years, and then he says, watch this. And he pours out his life, the Son of God, before their eyes. God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. On the cross, the Word made flesh is crucified. And they knew, I'm precious, behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called sons and daughters of the Most High. Because you are honored and precious in my sight, I will give men in exchange for you. You have been predestined to be adopted in love since the beginning of time. As you and I grow in understanding the relationship, the preciousness of the relationship, the word becomes precious to us. And the reverse is true. If we have a weak and anemic understanding of God's affection for me, if it goes up and down day to day, and it's hard, isn't it? Every day it's hard. It's hard for me to believe God loves me every day. It's hard for me to believe that I'm the apple of his eye every day. It's hard to believe that his love for me is wide, deep, long, and high every day. It's hard for me to believe that he loves me as much as he loves Jesus, who is perfect, his very own son. But he told me. He said it to me. He vowed it to me. And he sealed it in the blood of his son. And he preached it by his spirit, and he's still preaching it. The word is precious because of the relationship. And that goes along with the faithfulness of it too, right? As you and I recount the faithfulness of God in our lives, the word becomes more precious. I was talking to one of our members yesterday at the Vision Potluck, and they said that they have a, a book of blessings, a diary of blessings, And they were recounting to me what was so special about that was we were talking about what a hard year it's been. They were talking, you know, very honest about what a hard year it is. But he said, you know, I've got this book and I I look at it. I write down. The word becomes precious because I believe I begin to see God being faithful in my life. But the last one is. Well, I need to say something about this, though. If something is precious to us, it implies priority, right? Uh, Andrew said this earlier. If something's close to your heart, and this is part of the thing, whatever, whatever you and I have elevated to habit, whatever you and I have exalted to the level of habit is precious to us. That's what that that's what's helpful. If you want to know what's precious to yourself, look at your habits. Look at what you do. And so he tells us this. How do we then, and by, by the way, another way we might say that is wisdom isn't accidental, it's catechetical. It's not accidental. It's learned by repetition. If, if that was the case with Jesus, here you have Jesus, the Son of God. How did he, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with men? He submitted himself to the word of God when he became fully human. And that's how it became precious to him. And so it was regiment, it was catechism, it was habit. 
because we're not, our hearts are, uh, this is a big disjunct that I, uh, our culture deals with. We really don't understand how our heart is connected to our practices. We've got these practices and then we got my life over here and we're going, I don't understand why my, I feel this way. I don't understand why my life's this way. But over here, and God means us to bring those things together. And it's not a matter of brains or opportunity, it's a matter of decision. So the, the father says that, you know, the father gives him the dignity. He's told him his love, but then he's just going to flat out say, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. This is the beginning of wisdom. Go get wisdom. And that's not intelligence or smarts or PhDs. It's the art of godly living. It's the practice of love. You can have lots of degrees and lots of knowledge and not have wisdom. This is the wisdom of the scripture. And so, priority of practice, right, reveals preciousness. But let me get to the last point. It's a precious tradition. It's a precious relationship. But it's also a precious reward. Uh, you know, there, there are different images the father uses. One is that of a love. You know, he, he grabs romantic life, which, you know, fires all our hearts and imaginations. And he talks about wisdom as a lover. You know, I mean, what, what a way to talk about that. You know, imagine, imagine if you began to talk about your time with God like that to someone. I'm sorry, but I've got a little something on tonight, a little special date. And uh, I'll stop there. This gets uncomfortable. But the point, the point is, that's how he's talking about it. In the promise, she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place... A head, a graceful garland, a crown. The crown there probably isn't a king's crown, a priest's crown, but like a bridegroom's crown. They'll be worn in that day. Some cultures still do that. And the promise is this for, for us that embrace this lover. For us that uh, this pearl of great price, as Jesus would say. Listen, I, I've got to say this. This hits me more and more. Jesus in the gospel will require everything of you. It, it requires everything of us. Only those, he's not exaggerating, only those that lose their lives will find their life. And our lives are a process of God through trial mostly and through disappointment. That's where the wrestling matches. He's seeking to Loose us because only those who give up everything to buy that field will know him. And this is the trick about it. We think effort. Uh, I heard this quote the other day. We were watching, I forget what we were watching. It all just, anyway, but it was someone saying, uh, and it was an interesting comment, someone saying, yeah, how cruel for uh, a parent, God, to give a bunch of rules that the kids can't even obey. And that's how we might think about lose your life. But see, that's not it. It's actually your heart. 
lose your heart to him. All of us can do that. We're saved by grace. We're saved by his love. But he requires our hearts. Uh, And the result of that is one, the crown, moral beauty. Jesus was the most beautiful, unbeautiful person that ever walked on the face of the earth. And we're told, like, by our standards, by D.C. standards, modern standards, you would have walked right by him on the side of the road. No beauty or majesty, very average. And then at the end of his life, he's disfigured before us. Nothing impressive about him. Nothing that would have made you be at a, a brunch talking to him going, oh, that's interesting. You probably would have been like, there's something to this guy, but... And the Word of God then does something. The Word of God is the number one beauty treatment in the world, my friends. If you allow me that cheesy statement. It is. It's the beauty treatment. You look in the mirror of the Word of God, you're bringing it into your heart, and it beautifies people. I, you know, I see that beauty all the time in this community. I just do. I see the beauty of Christ. And it's, it, it's that imitation of Christ, right? New Testament, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us as a fragrant offering. You see that? We're called to imitate God, but likeness in the Hebrew idea, likeness in the Hebrew idea is not uh, so much biology, it's obedience. Resemblance isn't physical It's moral. That's what sonship and daughtership meant in the Hebrew mind. And so, as beloved children, we imitate that belovedness, but we walk, translation, obey. Obey the word. And so it's all mixed up together. There there is no uh, version of a Christian that goes, I'm just going to sit here and be loved and like drink in the love but really not follow Jesus. It's going to be a superficial, thin love. Your love will have no depth. It makes sense. I mean, think about your most committed relationships are your most morally beautiful relationships because they cost you. I was having this conversation today uh, saying, you know, there's this part of me that is always not wanting obligation. I really still perceive that independent Glenn could be happy. If I could do whatever I want, whenever I want, as often as I want, I'd be lonely. (laughs) You wouldn't even want to know me. So moral beauty, which also means honor, and here I just thought about all the ways that we try to garner honor, right, and respect from people. How do you try to get respect out of people, milk it out of them? Whether it's, yeah, I read that book, or I saw this article, or, you know, whatever it is. We don't have to do that. Wisdom will exalt us with honor and favor as you walk. But another one, beauty, honor, is freedom. He says, when you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you will not stumble. You know, I, I don't know if I shared this, but I had this small R revelation the last time I was hiking. You know, why do you hike? Let's go out and see nature. We're going to hike. But the entire time, I'm looking at my feet. 
because, you know, like there's roots and there's stuff, and the whole time you're like, yeah, this is great. You know, you look up around it because you're afraid you're going to stumble, you're going to fall. It's much different when there's a smooth path and you can just kind of walk around. Instead of the Word of God actually constraining, because some of us maybe came from traditions where the Word of God felt like that. Son and daughter, just caution, I better not step out of this, step out of... Didn't bring freedom. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. We heard earlier in this service, someone said this idea your commandments aren't burdensome. Do we pray that or confess that? Right? I, I, I will give you rest. And so it's this idea that the word of God then, the precious reward is as you know it in the gospel through Christ and you are set free and the commandments then become a blessing to you. They become gold. Without Christ, the commandments, you'll hate them. They'll curse you. They'll condemn you. With Christ, they become a beautiful word and you can begin to run in them. They become freedom. David said this. uh, David said, you give me a broad path. Even when my enemies are chasing me, I won't turn my angle. Even when people are after me, I won't fall. So these are the rewards. Proverbs 4 um, starts us on really what the aim of this whole series is. If at the end of this thing we can say the word of God is more precious to me and it's actually shown up in my practice and the habits of my heart. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, O God. You are that father in Proverbs. You you beheld us uh, like we were the only one in your sight with a mother's eyes. You speak tenderly to us in the gospel through Christ. And the things you say to us, Lord, you you sing these songs over us. You woo us like a lover and your words are precious to us. We want to say that to you today, Father. Your words are precious to us. And we, we, we pray that you would, uh, each one of us would have our own box with that song on the cover and all the snapshots of what you've done. In Christ's name, amen.